Welcome to the Advisor Talk podcast channel. This is Nick Stewart, CEO and Authorised Financial Advisor at Stewart Group. If you're new to the show, Stewart Group is a CFEX certified financial planning and advisory firm serving clients throughout New Zealand with offices in Hawke's Bay and Wellington. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge. It's our pleasure, as always, to have in this studio Nick Stewart from the Stewart Group right here in Hastings. How are you going, Nick? Yeah, cracking along. Really good, thank you. Good to see you, as always. Now, today we're going to talk about something which everyone is probably aware of, but do they really know what it really is? And uh, it's inflation. But before we actually get there, just remind our listeners, if we want to come and see you for some sound financial advice, how do we do that? You can do that at uh, 204 Kadamu Road in Hastings. That's the Black Basalt Stone Building with the Tartan logo and the solar panels. Or you can come and see us on the terrace in Wellington. And you're actually specialists in um, KiwiSaver, aren't you? Yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah. We look after, wow, actually at the moment in, in the Hawke's Bay here, we look after about 1,250 people with wow. their KiwiSaver strategies, which we're really proud of. I Look, I really like helping people out with KiwiSaver because it's a, it's a, a long journey. And incremental changes, small changes made... Uh, at the early phase or the mid phase can have material material results for people uh, at retirement or for their um, for an early withdrawal for something like uh, purchasing their home. Like it's a, it yeah it's it's incredible to watch it develop. So if I reflect back to 2012 when we uh, were writing our concept paper on KiwiSaver, the average balance at that stage across the country was six thousand six hundred dollars. Whereas the balance now is above thirty thousand oh, dollars per investor, isn't it? and that that is material. Yeah, that, that, that's that real is, money. That is independent wealth that those hardworking Kiwis have saved. That's and that's independent of their um, home and contents, which is just fabulous because it's something that's independent and it belongs to them. Just give us a quick overview of the different levels that are Kiwi. I mean, there's the conservative Kiwi saver. What yep. else is there? Oh well, um, well across the spectrum of Kiwi savers these days, there's a huge amount of things that people can invest in and different uh, risk profiles, as we call it. For us, for ourselves, we are the asset consultant for three funds. So we have uh, this is under the booster. Booster is the scheme administrator, 100 mm. percent Kiwi owned, which is great. Bring it on. So we've got a conservative fund, a balance fund, and a growth fund. So a conservative fund has a low lower weighting to shares or equities, which give you kind of growth in your, your engine um, for um, higher expected returns. So we've got a lot more um, a lot more bonds or fixed interest in that portfolio. Whereas in a balanced, you know, it pretty much is um, true to type, it's balanced yep. between fixed income, property and equities or shares. And then you've got the growth fund, which is has a much higher weighting to a property 
and shares or equities and a much smaller weighting to fixed income. So long term, you expect, and it has delivered a much greater return than the conservative fund, but it's a little bit more bumpy. Yeah. Would you recommend, would you age bracket that? I mean, would you say to someone who is uh, just coming into the workforce, uh, 20 plus, you go into growth, someone who's slightly middle-aged might go into balance, and old people like me might stick um, with conservatives? Look, there are, you know, just like any builder, there's a rule of thumb. Yep. And yes, that analogy does um, uh, pan out well for for most of the cohort of investors. However, we like to think that KiwiSave is a little bit more bespoke than that, and that's yep. the way that when we um, provide advice to our clients, we actually want to know a little bit more about them rather than just um, yeah. uh, their age and their income because we think things should be um, more tailored. So let's say um, if you are a particularly nervous individual or you had a lot of wealth in another area, therefore would you you know it would impact what you would do with your KiwiSaver. Or, for example, these days we're finding that a lot of people coming up to retirement or retirement age of 65, actually let's change the term on that, eligibility mm, for super yes. because retirement at 65 well that's let's face it it's just bollocks yeah too you, know, right. you know you know for people you know for say you know for those who want to be sane of mind and um you know and you know carry on and you know nurture their mana so to speak a lot of people are working a heck of a lot longer so that's why we don't really use yeah. the words retirement at 65 but where i was going to was that a lot of people at 65, they're using their KiwiSaver as their investment vehicle. Mm. They don't take it out at 65. No, it's in you? there for a lot longer. Yeah. And so therefore, the the historical um, rule of thumb was that as someone came up to retirement, you would lower the risk profile, which is right because sure. most people would be drawing down on capital at 65. Whereas now, most people are keeping on working. Um, they're going to be on the planet for another three decades, so they don't want to lower mm. their risk profile. And they're leaving their money in KiwiSaver. So it's pretty cool. Good to hear, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Great. We sort of got off uh, off target a bit, as we have been known to do in the past. <laughs> yeah. We're going to talk about inflation. Now, just uh, for a uh, beginner's guide to inflation, tell us what, what is inflation if we don't really understand it? Okay. So in layman's terms, when you go to the supermarket each year, you will notice the cost of your your goods and I'm not talking about the fact you're changing the goods that you buy. I'm saying the same things. If you went in every year and you bought your loaf of bread, a litre of milk, some margarine, and some marmite, you would have noticed over the last 30 years that the cost of those has increased quite a lot. And some areas, do you remember when a kilo of cheese, is it a kilo or a half kilo? I can't quite remember. But anyway, it went above ten dollars. Yeah. You, you, you would remember that. Yeah, I remember it made the media that was it under be the ten bucks. Yeah, it used to be ten bucks, and that was under that kind of. Na- I remember National were having to fight that yeah. one. Um, it was one of those kind of mental, like you know, it was the last straw on the camel's back. You know, ten dollars for a block of cheese. Anyway, it had been creeping up for an incredibly long period of time, and that's called inflation. Now, for the most part, um, central banks, which are, for example, our central bank is called the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, and the governor is Adrian Orr. Um, former governors have been uh, Dr. Wheeler, Dr. Bollard, Dr. Brash, Dr. Spencer. We've had numerous ones. And historically, most Reserve Bank governors have had to deal with high inflation because we historically had very high inflation for a period of time. So um, governors such as Dr. Brash inherited a um, an environment where inflation was very, very high 
and those and governors such as uh, Dr. Brash brought inflation down into a controlled fashion where you know it was sitting around between one and three percent, which is just fine. So most people really don't notice inflation when it's at that kind of between one and three percent. However, what we've got at the moment in the post-COVID environment, and this is not just in New Zealand, but this is globally, we've got some rather alarming figures coming through in terms of inflation. Now, I don't mean to sound alarmist, but the fact is that when you go out and you go down to Bunnings or Mitre 10 or ITM and you go down and you buy a length of 4 by 2 or a sheet of fiberboard, you will know exactly what I'm talking about with mm-hmm. inflation because, dare yes. I say it, if you'd gone in a year ago to buy some 4 by 2 just out of a lockdown, it was a heck of a lot cheaper than it is today. Absolutely. And that is inflation. Now, the other aspect is when when measure, one measures inflation, you look about it. You look at a basket of goods, and that is the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, and that looks at a basket of goods. Whereas a lot of people, when you're building a house, CPI really isn't really relevant to you. You want to know the building CPI. In other words, what you know the basket of goods that make up a home. To build a home, you really want to know what that is. You don't want to know what the cost of milk, mm-hmm. cheese, and marmite are. You want to know about sheets of tin, cubic metres of concrete, nails, bolts, and wood. And those have gone up markedly. And that is why, at the moment, a lot of people are talking about inflation uh, and the fact that it's there. It's the boogeyman. Mm-hmm. It's that, that old elephant in the corner of the room. It's grazing. But it's starting to get a bit noisy. Why does the uh, Reserve Bank step in and try and control inflation? What good does that do or what harm does that do to the economy in the long term? Um, Well, let's just say um, having some inflation is a good thing. You don't want to have negative inflation. Um, So having a little bit of inflation, you know, that kind of between 1% and 3% is actually a good thing. Uh, It actually has a positive um, stimulus on the economy. Uh, And it also, you know, when the value of your home or your assets is going up by a little bit each year, it kind of has that positive feel-good factor, Mm -hmm. whereas negative inflation uh, has the opposite. So you want a little bit, but not too much. It's kind of the Goldilocks effect. Um, But in terms of with the the Reserve Bank uh, or central banks around the world, when inflation goes a little bit too far and goes outside their parameters, they will naturally increase interest rates to cool down and do the reverse. So, you know, it's a non-stimulatory impact. They're actually going to slow the economy down and take the heat out of the economy by increasing interest rates. So whilst we're all really happy at the moment by the fact that our balance sheets have been inflated or there's been some inflationary pressure and we all feel good by the fact that, you know, the uh, piece of art that's hanging on the wall that great Aunt Ethel gave you is worth a little bit more and your house is worth more, and dear, you know, dare I say that the rickety old caravan parked in the back of the garden, it's actually worth something. <laughs> you, know, or, you know, it's incredible what inflation does. But the flip side is that the Reserve Bank will be left with no other option than to eventually increase, increase interest rates because they'll need to slow it down. They don't want to let it go too far. We talked about it before, and uh, we all remember, and we've seen the pictures of uh, people in Germany uh, <laughs> yeah, taking yeah. A, a wheelbarrow load of money to buy a loaf of bread. Again, I, I still, still don't quite understand it that 
I suppose inflation could be linked to supply and demand, you know, hey, we've got a, got a load of stuff, therefore it's going to be cheaper. But bread wasn't any less prevalent. There's still plenty of bread, but you had to take a barrel load of money uh, one day and you had to take two barrel loads of money the next day. So what caused that sort of inflation? Well, that type of inflation is caused exactly as you say. So if we look back to the Weimar Republic, which is uh, Germany post-World War I, pre-World War II, and um, the Weimar Republic thought that they could print their way out of recession. Mm-hmm. So that is where they literally, they the central bank, or actually it was probably a division of the War Department at that stage because most people back then didn't have a um, central bank. Certainly in the United States, there was no central bank. And the central bank then was a sub-ministry of the uh, War Department. So kind of just shows you how yes. we've learnt and the evolution of economics and um, monetary policy has evolved an incredible amount over a period of 100 years. But anyway, that's uh, for another discussion. But so in the Weimar Republic, the Germans just basically had printing presses, and they were just printing cash. Now, the problem is, even if there was exactly the same number of loaves of bread produced in Germany every morning, if there's too much money chasing too few goods mm. you are going to have mass inflation and you know the modern day experience of that is in venezuela and in zimbabwe mm. whereby you know they're printing and minting sorry minting then printing these notes that have masses of zeros on the yeah. end because inflation is just so vast that they're having to print new banknotes to keep up um, so it's it's particularly sad, and that's where um, certainly um, you know modern economics has taught people that you don't want to you do not want or desire to have inflation get out of hand because the remedy uh, is quite a difficult poison. Well, it, you know the you know the me- medicine can be poisonous for you. What's the short term answer to high inflation? Well, the short term answer is that um, people's store of wealth. If you've got, and, and I'm talking about, you know, the the great cohort of people here, and that is that people that that have money in deposits and cash, inflation is whittling away their spending power, mm. um, and that's that's the greatest impact. The other impact is that um, the people who um, have no debt um, feel very very good because their assets are being. Um, you know, their their real assets in the form of like um, commodities or houses or stocks are going up, but those that have debt find that they have to pay a lot more for their debt as a result. So having a lot of debt through a high inflationary environment can be difficult for people, just as like if I talk to my parents' era from the, um, the kind of late 70s, uh, early 80s, they all tell you about how the cost of funds or interest rates were above what we mm. currently pay for a credit card. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, how do you prepare for inflation? I mean, you know, if you were in the unfortunate, unfortunate mm, yes. position of saying having ten thousand dollars in the bank today in during good times, and then in three months' time, a loaf of bread is ten thousand dollars. That's your money gone, isn't it? Accurate. Yeah, so, how how can you prepare for what might not happen but could happen? <clears throat> well, again, I think it comes back to having a diversified um, balance sheet or a diversified portfolio. There is nothing wrong with having some cash. Everyone needs cash, and everyone needs some form of liquidity 
or element that kind of rainy day fund. Yeah. And that's great. So that's just, you know, everyone does need some cash. But having having a diversified portfolio across a broad spread of asset classes is very, very helpful for inflation. So if we look at some of that, I referred before the 1970s, and that's where, you know, our inflation here was running, you know, we were running at like, um, you know, 15 through 18%, you know, big, big numbers. Yeah. Well, if you had actually been invested in a broad equity portfolio or shares over that period, your performance over the 1970s, including the oil crisis of 73, 74, which is like bloody terrible, mm. it was very, very difficult um, a, as an investor and for people, you know, um, driving cars, etc. It was and businesses that were reliant on petroleum, very difficult. But if you look back. Even with those inflation figures, if you'd been invested in a broadly diversified share or equity portfolio, you would have done quite well. Yeah. You would have been just fine. Okay, our annual inflation is currently running at 3.3. Uh, it's yeah, gone it, up 1.3. Yeah, it has. The interesting thing, though, you know, when you're looking at annual inflation, annual inflation, you know, up to 365 days ago is is a, is a broad spread, whereas... When we actually look at the last quarter, inflation went up by 1.3%. Mm. So in other words, what I'm saying is this, most of it has occurred of late. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what the figures look like coming out shortly. If we look in the United States, we know that their annual inflation is now, has now accelerated to to 5.4%. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, perhaps New Zealand's heading towards that figure. And you know these are these are big numbers. Yeah. And once it goes, the, as I was saying before, the Reserve Bank will really be left with no no alternative but to increase interest rates. Now you probably uh, look at the economy down the track, mm. but more realistically than most people. I mean, I, you know, my wife and I were saying, "Oh my God, have you seen the price of meat? You know what's going to happen? <laughs> you know, people in Hawke's Bay are paying five hundred and thirty-five bucks a week to rent their house, and the average person is quite worried about the economy." And they're worried about what inflation is coming up. They are. Slightly long-term view, what's your view of the economy? How's it going to be? Is it going to get much worse or are we sort of fear-mongering at the moment? Hey, there's all – look, I could I could go out and find you an article now right on my phone and Dr. Google could supply me an article that's going to tell you that, um, you know, sell everything up, buy you tin food from Waddy's, whole lot of bottled water and buy a shotgun. Yeah. I could also find you articles to say that, um, you know, life's going to be amazing and, um, yeah, it will be what it will be, and always remember that headlines sell, mm-hmm. and negative headlines sell better than positive yeah. headlines. So there's a lot of alarmists, and often when you look at the headlines and then you read the article, the underlying article below yeah. it, or you click the link, you'll be like, man, that that headline really, really didn't pan true no. as to the article, because, you know, headlines sell. It's, yeah. cl- it's like clickbait. Um now, if we look at the inflationary figures coming through in the economy, as I was saying before, positive inflation is a good thing. Negative inflation is extremely painful, but you just don't want too much mm. inflation. So the question is, at the moment, a lot of reserve banks around the world are looking through this inflation hump. Well, rather than seeing it as a mountain, they're saying it's like a, it's a hump. Yeah. It's a speed bump. It's a sand dune. And we can look through that, and we know that, or, and I'm talking hypothetically here, yeah. 
um, talking in um, in their sh- from from their viewpoint, and they're saying we can look through this hump, and in a year's time, inflation will be back to usual. Now that's a that may be a Herculean assumption to make, mm-hmm. but then again, it may pan out to be true. So what they what they're sitting there is saying we don't want to crank interest rates up now on the basis that in a year's time we may have you know we may have um, you know shot you know we may have um, shot the bullet too early and when we didn't need to yeah. so that's why quite a few of them are hanging back. That was the analogy that was being given around mm-hmm. eight weeks ago, but with some of these recent inflation figures that are yeah. coming out from the U.S., Australia, and New Zealand. Uh, that's why people have bought forward, or people, economists, have bought forward their assumptions on increases to the overnight cash rate, or the OCR, from early 2022 through to either either August or November this year. And if we look at 2025, I was reading um, The Economist for the ASB in a publication about a week ago, they were saying that they expect that you and I, for our home debt, that we are going to pay 2% more on our debt by 2025. Yeah. So so you're kind of starting to see that the expectation is that you know we are going to pay more yeah. because the Reserve Bank will have to act. You mentioned negative headlines. And I think that most people, yeah, people love reading bad news. Mm. But do they become self-fulfilling prophecies? And I just wonder, have you noticed uh, that as a flow-on effect in your current business? I mean, are people starting to worry about it and coming to you and saying, geez, what's going on? Uh, people are coming to us in terms of uh, cash and the need for cash flow. We're not seeing a lot of evidence of people uh, being concerned about the economy mm-hmm. and uh, running for the hills, et cetera. That's not the – that's – that, but typically that's not the type of people we deal with. We don't really deal with people that are DIY or do-it-yourself investors where, you know, they're in and out of stocks mm-hmm. and, you know, taking those type of strategies in those positions. That's not how we work. Ours are diversified and broadly diversified portfolios built for the long term. So, But that doesn't mean it's a set-and-forget strategy because we're making subtle changes regularly depending on their risk profile and their goals and objectives. So for us, it's a little bit different, but I but I have seen that there are some businesses that aren't actually travelling that well in this environment. Mm. Uh, there are some businesses that they, for example, they may have a single line of revenue. In other words, they have a single contract, and that contract they may be they may be unable to pass on increases in cost. So, for example, if you and I, Ken, if we had a contract with a government agency to deliver a certain service at a fixed price, then you and I go out and that's and you know we we have the contract at a dollar, and we might have some expenses that come to ninety cents, and you and I make ten cents after we've paid our wages, and that's that's the risk we have as a business owner. If our underlo- if inflation and wage pressure is coming through, and you and I go from having a ten cent profit. To a one cent profit, I don't know if you and I want no. to run that business <laughs> to make right. one cent for the liability and the risk for the entrepreneurial risk because you and I may have had to put up our home as security. Yeah, indeed. Now, many businesses can go and they have provisions within their contract that they can pass on some um, changes in pricing, but many businesses that I see do not have that ability. So their wage and general expenses are increasing 
much higher than the inflation figures you and I just talked about, mm. like three times that amount, but they are unable to increase their revenue. So that means that's basically a squeeze on profitability, and I think we're going to see some businesses who will say, hey, it's just not worth me yeah. doing what I've been doing historically. It, the, the, the comment is, and I've heard this a couple of times from people, it just doesn't work anymore. <laughs> just uh, I know you've got a quote that you want to give us. Yes. Just yes. a quick word on bricks and mortar. Uh, hard to believe, but bricks and mortar holding up regardless of what's going on around it. It's well, holding up it, and it's well, not coming down, is it? No, no, it's not. And, 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 you know, and you and I have spoken numerous times on, on Canny View on this show, and that is that the expectation is that it wouldn't fall quickly, that just over a period of time it is not going to grow at the rate that it has historically just because of the affordability aspect and for the effect that the cost of funds, the cost of borrowing, is going to be more expensive. Mm. So now the quote that I was going to, going to leave you with is, and, and it, it actually flows from property, so I thought, there yes. you go. So I was thinking about you. Good segue. Yeah, absolutely. So, and it's effective, you know, people are saying, so what's going to happen? You know, I don't understand. So we've got inflation, we've got housing, we've got migration. What does it look like in the mix? You know, if you had an amazing algorithm, possibly you could get a result. But anyway, I'll leave you with this quote, and that is that, you know, look, over many decades, we have built fewer houses. We have freed up much less land than our population growth has suggested or was warranted. And, you know, we need to have a commitment to rural resources. We need to actually physically build more houses, have more subdivisions, because if we don't, it's going to put real pressure on interest rates and the unfortunate lamentable outcomes will be that some of the policies that are going to be produced aren't going to be very palatable, but we will be left with no other choice. Information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge. This show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers. Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay voices on air.